Welcome to No Truth Culture, where you know truth or you have no truth. I'm your host, Mr. Misunderstood, and I'll be having the distinct privilege and honor of helping you rip the Band-Aid off when it comes to all things truth in culture today. As always, to stay up to date with all things No Truth Culture, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or the episode description. To help support us here financially, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or episode description. And once on the website, click on support. Well, without further ado, buckle up and get ready because it's time to rip the band-aid off so the truth can set you free. Welcome back to the program on this episode we're going to be going over various topics one of which would be talking about one third of internet traffic and where it comes from who gets fired what to do when in an argument or a fight finding god's will and purpose for your life items to finding your purpose there's four items we're going to go over in some detail as to how you can find purpose in and for your life. And of course, making a difference in our friends' lives, how valuable that truly is. And we'll finish things off with the send-off and it'll be much, much more on this program. So let's just dive right into it. And head first is always the best way. So that's what we're gonna do here. And uh, I'm gonna start off with a story I found on a website called um, the Bleacher Report. So we're just going to dive right in. In 1998, Mike Lowell broke into the major leagues with the New York Yankees. That offseason, the Yankees shipped him to the Florida Marlins. It was in Florida, the state Lowell grew up in and went to college in, that Lowell discovered he had testicular cancer. Lowell's cancer was first detected on February 19, 1999. By May 29th, he was in the Marlins lineup after missing all of spring training and nearly two months of the season. As a Marlins fan, I remember a cancer scare in the middle of the Marlins World Series run in 2003. The first time when I had the cancer, my wife and I had been married four months. We had no responsibilities, but the second time, we had my daughter. Now you are leaving someone behind, Lowell told the Boston Globe. The 2003 scare turned out to be a misdiagnosis, and Lowell was on the field when the Marlins defeated the Yankees for the World Series. In the 11 years since Lowell defeated cancer, he he has won three World Series titles and been named to the All-Star team four times. Now, for those of you that don't know, Mike Lowell was very infamous as a Boston Red Sox player, and obviously the Florida Marlins in 2003 won the World Series with them, but yeah... um, Pretty certain he won a World Series or two with the uh, Boston Red Sox as well. I'm almost certain he at least won one. Don't quote me on it. But I'm pretty sure he took the pennant at least one time in Boston. Um, And so the the reason why I bring that up and why I start off this program with such a scary but, you know, somewhat idealistic or not not idealistic, but um, real and raw and 
in your face kind of story like that is because he fought. You know what I mean? He fought, he battled, and he overcame. And so that that that's what we want to see in Christianity. We want to see that in life. There was an old saying that uh, somebody told me years ago, nobody wants to read a biography of a guy or a girl who's had everything handed to them in life. It's just, it's not going to be a bestseller. You, you're going to read a biography or an autobiography, I guess is t- the, the elongated word, uh, word for it. You're going to read one of those of, from somebody that's had to overcome some form of adversity, had, had some kind of obstacle in their way and they fought and they overcame that obstacle. That's the kind of um, autobiography you're going to want to dive into. You're going to want to read. And so with that being said, it's about fighting the adversity, fighting and overcoming and feeling that sense of victory. Because when you have adversity, when you have that wall that you're up against and you feel like there's no hope and you lift your arms and and hands and, and just pray and maybe even get down on your knees and pray and seek the Lord and say, you know what, this seems impossible. Like Abraham, who was like a hundred years old when he had a child and, and God promised that child to him and his wife, Sarah. And they didn't see feel like there'd be much hope for that to come to fruition because of their age. But they believed God anyways and overcame that doubt, overcame that barrier, that obstacle that was in their way. And lo and behold, God did what he said he was going to do and gave him a child. And, you know, he told Abraham, look at the stars. You know, your descendants are going to be as as numerous as the stars in the sky. Sand on the seashore, you're not going to be able to count them. There's going to be too many of them. There's going to be so many of them. They're going to be vast and wide and you know, he was telling Abraham about the promise and the plan that he had, and he just had to have faith. And, that, and Abraham did. And he was considered a man of faith, a man of great faith. And so you have to be willing to fight the adversity that comes your way and fight the doubt and fight the devil's assaults on your mind, telling you that you're not good enough, telling you that it's never going to be the way that God says it's going to be. It's always, you're always going to be the same way you've always been. You're always going to go back to the same old patterns, the same old habits, the same old addictions, the same old this, the same old that. And you can sit back and look at it and say, you know what? This is what the Bible says. I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. And I'm going to believe that, you know what, sin, you're dead to me. You died upon that cross. You're dead. I don't have to do this anymore. I'm going to choose faith over fear. That's what I'm going to choose today. And that's what I'm going to choose in every aspect of my life is faith over fear. Say it with me now. Faith over fear. Because God doesn't give you a spirit of fear but of, or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, as I read a scripture like that, I'm reminded of the last word or last couple of words in that scripture, a sound mind. Sound mind means you have good thoughts, you have positive thoughts, you have control over your mind, you have peace over your mind and not doubt and not fear and not anything other than a sound mind means it's together. You're mentally together because of what God can do in and through you and you're believing in him. And so it's powerful. It's just truly powerful when you see the fight. And there's so many areas in which we need to fight on a daily basis. One of them is our mind. We need to fight for 
having the victory in our mind. I was reading or um, watching a sermon the other day, and I was blown away by the statistic. One third of all internet traffic has to do with pornography. Think about it. Take a step back. One third, 33.3% of all internet traffic online today. I don't know how old the stat is, but let's just say it's today. Probably even worse. 33.3% porn, pornography, lust, perversion, sexual immorality. That's driving a third, 33.3, I can't hammer this home enough, percent of online traffic. That's mind-blowing to me. And that's what the devil wants. Because if he can have you succumb to that addiction, succumb to that evil, and give into it, then he's got you beat. Because sin's never satisfied. So you're always going to want more. It's never enough. You're always going to want more. It's not enough. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to do this. I got to do that. And you're going to be fixated on it. You're going to be spending your life trying to fulfill that desire and that need for that satisfaction satisfaction that will never truly come because there's only one thing that can satisfy you and his name is Jesus. And you're basically trying to fill a void in your heart that only God, it's a God-sized void in your heart that you're trying to fill with pornography. And a third of people that go online and peruse are doing that. Now I've been in the working environment and I've been in schools and various situations and various environments and it's today where it's gotten so bad that it's normalized. You're not normal in society's eyes if you don't take part in it. If you're not doing the things that they do, self, self, self-pleasure and, and looking at pornography and taking part in it in some way, shape or form, you're the oddball. You're the crazy one. You're the one that's in the wrong. You're the one that's got problems. You're not normal. That's what society in this world will tell you. And they'll tell you it until you're blue in the face. And I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've heard it with my own two ears. I've been in those environments, in the working environments. And they're blown away when I tell them, I don't do that. I don't take part in that. And that's not to pat myself on the back. That's not to say that, you know, I don't have my struggles. That's not to say that I think I'm better than anybody else because I don't. And I'm not. I'm human. You know, I make mistakes. I do things. I struggle. What I'm saying is, is that, you have to fight what society is telling you is normal, is okay when it's not. And you got to stand upon the word of truth, which is the Bible and what the Bible says. And that's why reading it is so valuable and so important in today's, especially today. Because number one, God wants to have a relationship with you. And he can't have a relationship with you if you're not even doing the basic essentials of getting in his word and praying and seeking him. And honestly, in my humble opinion, doing it first, letting it be the first thing you do in the day and not just once a day, but all throughout the day. It says pray without ceasing. That means nonstop. I'm not saying like 24 seven nonstop. It's not literal, but like there should be not just a 20 minute set aside and then I'm done and, you know, put... You're you're done for the day, God. You know, I I gave you my 20 minutes. Now take care of me the rest of the day. I'll come back to you tomorrow. That's not what it's about. And you ought to want more. That ought to not satisfy you in any way, shape or form enough because you should want more. You should crave more of God and not more of the world, not more of the flesh, not more sin. You should be craving more of God. And I should be craving more of God. But unfortunately, as I was saying in this statistic, 
the world's telling you you need to be craving more of this. And it's like mind-blowing to me because pornography affects your relationships with, especially if you're married. But even if you're not married, it affects the way you view the opposite sex. It affects the way that you go into relationships with the opposite sex because you look at a relationship with the opposite sex from the viewpoint of what you're seeing in the pornography. So if it doesn't measure up in the real world, in your real relationships, well, then you're you're setting yourself up for a huge letdown. You're disappointed because, oh, well, it looks so good in that pornography. But you, you, what you don't understand is that they're actors. And it's not like they're this, this is the first time they're doing it. And, you know, they're just the best at it the first go around. No, the... <laughs> They're doing this stuff behind the scenes. They're practicing this stuff. So, you know, you're you're getting a very jaded and ungodly view of what God intended to be very holy and righteous and between a man and a woman when you're married. That's that, that's what it's to be about. And I say all that to say this. We have a tendency, the world does, to take something pure and holy and that's to be undefiled, like the marital bed. And defile it and 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 such a nasty and and ungodly fashion and way that it becomes like we become numb numb to what is what should be normal like for people in the working environment to tell me that I'm not normal because I don't take part in the sinful things that they do when it comes to this issue or various other issues that just blows my mind it's like well wait wait a minute here you know the the bible says in the end times that wrongs going to be right and right's going to be wrong truth it's going to be lies and lies are going to be truth and everything's going to be flipped on its head. And we're seeing it more and more today. We are in living in the end times and it couldn't be just walk outside, just live and breathe outside in the, in the world today. And you're seeing it firsthand. You're seeing the hatred of the church. I mean, I was watching a sermon today and the guy, was, the preacher was talking about how we're in a post-Christian America for the first time ever. This country was founded upon the Bible, upon biblical principles and truths found in scripture, our justice system, our constitution, all Bible-based. And we're getting further and further away from that to where Christianity is not even normal. And this preacher was talking about how when he grew up, he didn't have a single friend that wasn't in a two-parent household where both, both both their parents were married. He didn't have a friend that ha- that was suffering from divorce of family or one parent households. And now that's flipped on its head to where you got and you have kids that don't even know what it's like to have a two parent household. The majority of them, it seems like, don't know what it's like to have a two parent household and how God hates divorce. You know, God does hate divorce. I mean, there are special circumstances to where it's okay in his eyes, but those ought to be few and far between and very rare. We ought to be as human beings able to work things out and and seek counseling and try and fix our relationships and not just give up on them at the first sign of adversity and and uh, throw in the towel. You got people like, and you know, don't get me wrong, I love her music to death. I think she's a phenomenal singer, but you got people like Kelsey Ballerini who's talking about how she got divorced from uh, Morgan. Oh, what's his last name? Morgan something. Um, and and they got divorced. And she's talking about how all well, the sparks just weren't there anymore. Well, it ain't about sparks. Marriage isn't about infatuation. That's what she. That's basically what she was talking about. She's talking about being infatuated with him. 
And once that wore off, she figured it would come back and it didn't come back. So then they just ended the marriage rather than try and work it out. It's not about an infatuation. Love is about sacrifice. Love is not a feeling. It's an, it's not an emotion. It's what you do when you don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like getting up in the morning. I still get up because quote, you know, because say you're married, you got to get up and provide for your wife. You got to get up, go to work. You got to get up, make her some coffee and treat her nice. It's sacrifice. That's what marriage is. It's sacrifice. It's love. It's, and it's doing these things when you don't feel like doing it. It's easy to do to love when it's convenient or when you feel like it. But when you don't feel like it, well, that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you're, that's when the real test comes. It's like, oh, wow, I don't really feel like quote unquote loving this person today, but I'm going to fight through how I feel because how I feel is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how I feel because your feelings change from one minute to the next. So they're going to lie to you. They're not very accurate. They're not a very good gauge of what you should be doing and the decisions you should be making because emotions are fickle. They change from one second to the next. So you can't base your life on how you feel or you're going to have a miserable life. So you got to fight the emotion. You got to fight that mind battle of, well, I don't feel like doing this, but I got to push through because I know it's what's, what needs to be done. I know it's what's right. So I'm going to do it because that's what God wants me to do. Or that's what, you know, my spouse needs me to do in this moment. And the caveat would be if it's godly, if it's not godly, then it's a no. You know, your spouse shouldn't be requiring you or asking you to do ungodly things. And if they are, well, you need to evaluate what's going on because something ain't right. Something's smelling a little fishy. And so you have to work through all of that. But you got to fight for that marriage. You can't just say all the sparks left, so I'm done. Irreconcilable differences. It's a joke. There is no such thing. Everything can be resolved. It just takes two people in that marriage, in that relationship to say, hey, it sucks right now. This is this sucks. This is miserable. But it can get better if we take a step back and evaluate what's going on here, what, what the root causes of these issues are. Maybe even seek a third party, a counselor, a, a pastor, somebody close to you or somebody that can have be a neutral party and help you work through those issues and work it out. How is it that we could work things out 30, 40 years ago, but today it's like the first sign of trouble and whoop, let's just quit and get another one. As if it's, it's to say as if like marital partners are a dime a dozen and we can just exchange them whenever we want. Like it's, you know, something we're buying from a store, like a product that just is defective. And it's like, wait a minute here. They're human beings. We're talking about human beings here, not household goods or store-bought goods. So we got to fight for that. We got to fight for our relationships. We got to fight the devil at every turn because he's going to attack. What does he want to attack the most? He wants to attack you and he wants to attack anyone close to you, your family. Because if he can get those things and he can attack those things, then he's thinking he's got a mighty victory because he wants to break you down and tear you down and get everything that's close to you and everything that satisfies you in a good and godly way out the way so that he can destroy you. What's his mission? Seek to kill, destroy, devour. Those three things aren't very fun. I don't want to be devoured. I don't want to be killed. And I don't want to be destroyed. But those are his three main goals. Devil open mouth. Devil lie. Minute mouth open, devil's lying. That's just the way it is. He can't speak truth. It's not possible. The minute his mouth is moving, it's open. He's lying to you. He's lying to me. That's just what it is. Let's just call spade a spade and say it like it is. And let's just give the truth because the truth will set you free. It'll set me free. You just speak it. And you just say, you know what, devil? 
not today. And when the devil attacks, when you're fighting against the devil and you realize he's attacking you, you gotta, I rebuke you devil in the name of Jesus. Get out of me, Satan, get behind me. You are not welcome in my mind, my heart, my soul. You're not welcome in this house. You're not welcome near me. You're not welcome in and upon or near the people that I love. In any way, shapes and forms, I rebuke you, get out. You gotta take dominion and have the victory. And it comes by reading the word. You got to get in the word. You got to get in prayer. You got to get in fasting. You got to do all these things because you're not, you're fighting a spiritual war and you can't fight a spiritual war with earthly things. You got to get spiritual. You got to get in the word of God. You got to get in prayer. You got to get doing these things so that you can have that spiritual authority and dominion and power that comes from the Holy Spirit, God, and his son, Jesus. Because if you don't have that power, the devil wins and it's going to be a mighty victory for him indeed. And then you're going to wonder what hit you and why it hit you. Like Samson with Delilah, wondering why he didn't have the power he had at one point. Because he just played footsies with sin and footsies with sin. And eventually you keep playing footsies with sin and you lose your foot. And that's what he did. He kept playing footsies with sin, getting closer to her chopping the hair, just a little bit inching a little bit closer and closer to it until eventually she, he gave up the hair because she was nagging him so bad. He gave up the hair and then boom, he had no strength, but he didn't even realize it was gone. That's the worst part. He didn't even realize it was gone until the moment came when he needed that power and that strength and the source of where his power and strength came from had left him and what a mighty fall it was. And so the plain and simple fact of the matter is, is that we need to fight because let's take, for example, your kids. If you don't fight for your kids and you just allow the world or the school system, or what have you, educate them for you because you're not willing to do it yourself, you're losing that battle. And then you're going to wake up one day and wonder why they're so rebellious, why they're believing what they're believing, because, well, you got to take a step back and look at it and go, well, who was raising them, me or somebody else? Because the reality is, is if you're not raising them, somebody else is going to raise them and teach them and get them to fall in line with their belief system. And if it ain't you, well, you better watch out because the somebody else that's doing it probably isn't going to line up with where you are on your beliefs and values and so on and so forth. And so your kids are going to be off the rocker. And then you're going to wonder what hit them. And then it's like you got to take a step back and go, well, pff, I wasn't teaching them. So somebody did it. Whoops. And so you got to fight. It's a war. It's a spiritual battle we're in. And we have to fight and we have to understand what we're up against. We're up against the devil. We're up against principalities of darkness and evil spirits and demons and forces of wickedness and evil people that are filled with all of these things and above. And so back to the, to the point of, the, of, of, of this thing, and how can you fight against one third of traffic and not allow yourself or your family members, your children become one of these, one of the 33.3% of people that are going on the internet, looking at pornography, you got to fight it. You got to let them know and understand and have that conversation with them of what the power of these things can do of getting involved and how it's a slippery slope when you're getting involved in this stuff, because it's never going to satisfy you. You're always going to want more of it. That's the way it works. So understanding that is vital and crucial and critical to becoming the warrior that God intends you to be when it comes to fighting these things and having that victory. Because if you don't, then the world's going to win. And if Christians, if you as a Christian aren't fighting, fighting the flesh, fighting the devil, fighting the world and its evil tendencies and ways, then the, the world's going to get more violent, more volatile, more in your face and more hostile toward Christ, Christians and Christianity. 
and you're going to see the end result of it and it ain't going to be very pretty. Do you ever wonder what it'd be like to be able to listen to each and every episode seamlessly and without the interruptions of ads and sponsorships? Well, we've got some great news for you today. We've listened and are now doing something about it for you. Say hello to ad-free and sponsorship-free listening and many, many more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or episode description. Once on the website, click on the link No Truth Culture Plus under the No Truth Culture category. Follow No Truth and myself, Mr. Misunderstood, on all major social media platforms by going to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, click on social media. Become a Crusader Insider for free today by going to our website links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, just scroll to the bottom of the page and fill out your full name and email address in the proper fields and hit submit. And you'll officially be a Crusader Insider, which is going to gain you access to insider information, all the latest and greatest new things happening within our podcast franchise, companies, all the updates, promotions, offers, and future merchandise that's going to be coming soon and much, much more. You won't want to miss it. So make sure that you become a Crusader Insider today. Let's answer the question, who gets fired? From an article from the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here it is. This nurse practitioner's story deserves to go viral. It's a devastating example of what will continue to happen if we don't draw the line for freedom. But I'm going getting ahead of myself. Paige Casey is a young nurse practitioner. For years, she faithfully served her community working as a nurse practitioner at a local CVS health clinic in Virginia. When she was hired, she made her employer aware that her Catholic faith prevented her from prescribing or dispensing abortion-inducing drugs. CVS accommodated her religious conviction for three and a half years and didn't require her to administer any life-ending drugs. But then, in 2022, they told Paige they would no longer allow her religious freedom. A few months later, she was fired just two days after earning a performance-based raise. This is blatant religious discrimination, and according to Virginia law, it is illegal. So a story like that is what I'm talking about the entirety so far of this of this program. And that's your as a Christian, if you're unwilling to fight for freedom, to fight for what God wants for your life and for the lives of those that you have that He's placed in your life, the people in your life, because He's placed them there. If you're not fighting for these things, then you're losing the battle. And if you lose the battle, then guess who wins it and who will ultimately win the war in your life or in the life of this country, in the life of this country, the devil, the flesh, the world. And you're seeing it in stories like that. Mind you, I'm hoping that this woman's fighting tooth and nail to, to make sure that that doesn't happen. I don't know what the outcome of that is or where it's headed, but it looks like court and it looks like a violation of her religious freedoms and I could even say First Amendment rights and some other amendments tied into that. So like 
And how, and the question you might be asking yourself is, well, how did we end up here? An unwillingness for, for Christianity as a whole to fight. And so the world says, it's like a child. If you have a child, the child's going to push the boundaries of what, what it can and cannot get, or what the child, he or she can and cannot get away with. And they're going to push it just a little bit further. And then if you give them a little bit, they're going to be like, mm, okay, I got away with that. So I'm going to push the boundary a little further and a little further and a little further until you say, ah, 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 that's the boundary. Hit. Nope. No, you're not doing that. No, uh, uh-uh, no. And then they go, oh, okay, back up. Now I got to go a little bit back behind that boundary now and see if that, okay, is this safe? Oh, okay. And they're just going to constantly, that's what it is. They're going to constantly test that boundary and push everything up against it and try and nudge it forward a little bit until you put your foot down and say no. Well, it's the same with the world. They're going to do the same thing and they are doing the same thing. And they're going to fire this woman. Well, she's got to push back and say no. Boundary marker needs to get pushed back. We need to fight this. This is a battlefield worth dying on. We need to say no. We're not going to put up with this. This The buck stops here. We're not doing it. This is no. And the Constitution has her back because of what the founding fathers put in there and what we instituted this nation on is biblical values and biblical principles and doing what's right and being men and women of faith and a nation of faith. And so we can't get to a post-America Christianity. We don't want to get there. So how do we not, how do we stop it dead in its tracks? We fight. We stop saying no to the fight. And we start saying yes to the fight because it's a fight worth having and we need to win it because the devil's winning this battle and we need to not let him know more. We need to say enough's enough, devil. Get behind me. Not today, not ever again. You're out. See you later. Adios, amigos, and get them out. And don't let the door hit you or the, you know, good Lord split you because that's, you know, you got to fight. If you ain't fighting, somebody else is, and chances are they're winning. Because if you're not fighting, then you're losing. There's an old saying, you, you're either moving forward in Christianity and in life, or you're moving backwards. There is no such thing as staying still. Take working out, for example. If you're working out, you're gaining muscle, you're doing the right thing, you're, your cardio is getting better, you're expanding your lungs. But as soon as you stop, you don't stay where you are. You start to reverse. You start going backwards. You regress. You're either progressing or you're regressing in your workout regimen and in your body, your muscles, your cardiovascular health, your lung capacity and all of this stuff. You stop working out for two months and you try working out the same way you did two months prior and good luck. You'll be dead to the world. You won't know what hit you. You'll be like you got hit with a truck because you'll be like, whoa, I used to be able to do this workout. Now it's knocking me off my feet. Well, yeah, because you regressed. You can't stay still. You have to be moving forward or backwards. You can't stay still. It's not possible. That's just the way life works. That's the way working out works. It's just the way it goes. You cannot stay stagnant. Either use it or you lose it. And it's the same in Christianity. It's the same with this fight this woman has to get involved in and pursue because it's worth fighting for her job. It's worth fighting for her beliefs. It's just worth the fight. How could you tell a woman that her beliefs don't matter? That her beliefs of not being not dispensing or administering life ending drugs, aborting abortion drugs, how that's wrong for her to carry those beliefs when our nation for two 250 years have ha- has had those biblical foundational truths given to us, allotted to us in the Constitution. And last time I checked, they haven't been abolished. They're still in the Constitution. So why are we not fighting for them? 
These are questions we need answers to. We need to be fighting for these truths, for freedom, for religious freedom in this nation, which leads me into what I want to talk about next. And that's you get into an argument or a fight with somebody and you do want to do your due diligence and understand where they're coming from and try and gain their perspective, whether it's right or wrong, that's irrelevant. You need to give them time to speak and time to hear them out so that you can better understand where they're coming from so that you can have that dialogue. There was a woman I was reading of in a book that I'm reading called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And she said she was having a terrible time with her teenage daughter because her teenage daughter was just in this rebellious stage. And she just felt like she was constantly barking orders at her teenage daughter and her teenage daughter was rebelling and not doing what she wanted her to do and on and on and on. And it was just like to the point where she ended up going to her friend's house when she was told not to until she finished her chores. She bounced out and went to her friend's house and her mom just got to a point where she, the girl came back home and the mom just said, she she couldn't even scream and yell anymore. She was just at wit's end. She just hit a wall. And she just looked at her daughter like teary-eyed or crying or w- whatever the case may be. And she just said, why? Why, Lori, why? And the daughter just looked at her and said, you really want to know? And the mom said, yes. And then she started opening up. And then the mom realized that the problem of why the daughter wasn't listening to what the mom wanted was because every time the daughter tried to give her peace and say what she needed to say, to be heard, the mother would cut her off and just bark more orders at her rather than just shut up, let the daughter speak, let her have her two two, mom, two minutes to, to air out her grievances. There's nothing wrong with that as long as she's doing it in a respectful way and let her say her piece and then you can all move on for it. But she wouldn't do that. And so this is why the daughter became so rebellious. And she said that once she figured that out, once they had that conversation and they had that dialogue, she realized how wrong she was, the mother. And they've had a better relationship for it because now she lets her talk and talk as much as she wants, she said, because that's the value of communication. Communication is a two-way street. You can't just be all one-sided and just talk, 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 and not let anybody else get a word in edgewise. That's not a relationship. That's a monologue. You're just talking to talk or barking orders. And what human's going to want to have anything to do with that? What human isn't going to rebel when they're in a predicament like that? It's, it's just human nature. They're going to rebel. They're going to want to buck against it with every fiber of their being. So to prevent that from happening, just let them get, get the words in. Let them speak. Let them have their, their couple of minutes to air out their grievances and to let, let their side be heard so that you guys can come to an agreement and understand. Chances are that if you just let, them, let the other person speak, you might, they might even resolve the conflict for you by them, them speaking and you, oh, wow, I didn't even think of that. That's what, really, well, that's what this is all about. And they, that might even resolve the conflict. Them talking might resolve the conflict for you or the argument or whatever the case may be. And so that's just, you'd be surprised at how many conflicts can be resolved by just simply listening to the other party and understanding where they're coming from. Because if you truly do this, chances are they'll tell you, like I just said, the true reason as to why they're upset or arguing with you and how to rectify it. A simple principle is this. Let others talk and be heard by you and it'll solve a lot of problems, like I just said. Now, on the flip side is what we tend to do, and I've been guilty of this, is thinking you know what somebody wants or what their problem is and how to fix it. And chances are you're only going to make it worse because you're assuming. And you can't do that. I mean, you can, but it ain't going to end pretty. 
Don't assume anything when you're in an argument or a fight with somebody. Let them make the assumptions for you by just telling you what it is. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even consider that. And then I'm, I'm the kind of person where I hear that and it's like, okay, I, I hear where you're coming from. I, give me a, give me an hour, give me two hours and let me process this because I don't process always very well in the moment. You know, emotions are there, whatever the case may be. Even if mo- emotions aren't there, I just don't process super fast. So give me an hour or two, maybe even a day and we'll get back to you and let me process this and pray it out. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with praying it out. And getting that that uh, time in prayer out and, and getting everything situated in your mind mentally and, and all of that. And uh, having God work through that with you. And then maybe he'll even give you the answers you need to work out that or resolve that conflict in that trial or in that argument. And then you'll get back to that person in a couple hours or in a day or two. And you'll all be better for it. But chances are, if you're just wrapped up in your emotions and you're just coming at it from a very hostile place, you're going to say something you'll regret and it'll just get uglier and uglier and uglier. And you'll just start feeding each other a bunch of stuff and a bunch of hogwash. It'll just get mixed up in the, in the, in the wash and it'll just, it won't end well. So you just, sometimes it's just put, put, hit the brakes. Let's, let's pause this. It's getting too heated. It's getting too hostile. I don't want to say anything I'm going to regret. I don't want you to say anything you're going to regret. Let's just take a breath, take a beat. Let's get back. We'll come back, but do come back to it. Don't just say you're going to come back to it and then don't. That's not good. That's not healthy. You need to come back to it and then address it and figure it out. That's what grown adults do. And none of this hiding behind a keyboard, typing. So easy to type. I was just telling somebody the other day, so easy to type and hide behind a keyboard. But would you have the gumptions to say it to their face? If you're standing before them, right in front of them, would you say it to their face? If not, probably shouldn't say it behind a keyboard. And if you would be willing to say it to their face, because sometimes you're so heated, you'll, you would be willing to say it to their face. Ask yourself, would you be willing to say it in front of God? Or would God be a pleasing of you saying it in front of him? Is, I guess, a better way to put it. And chances are the answer in the, in the heat of the moment might be no. Okay, well, let's just take a beat. Let's take a breath. Let's come back to it. We'll get back to it. It'll be all right. We'll work this out. You know, it doesn't have to be worked out this second. We can do this. We can give it the time and the, and the, and the energy that it needs, but we're, we'll just give it a minute here and we'll work this out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just take a breath, take a beat, go walk around the block, take a drive, as long as you're calm and can focus and come back to it. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you do come back to it and, and it, it'll work itself out. You just got to work it out. So that's, that's just, you know, when you're in a fight, just hear the other person out. And I heard that when I was reading that book and I was like, hmm, it's actually really powerful. It seems like such a small thing, but it's actually real insight and very powerful. Now, I was also coming across this about purpose and God's will and purpose for your life and finding your purpose and will that God has for you and your life and how it's one of the best thing, best ways you could fight against all that the devil tries to do to make you feel like you, there's no hope, all hope is lost, that you don't have any purpose or value because in Christ you do. And the devil's a liar and you need to tell him that. Devil, you're a liar. Get behind me, Satan. Get back to where you belong in hell. Adios. Nice knowing you, bud, but you're not welcome upon or within me, upon or within my mind, upon or within my heart, my soul. You're not welcome here. So get behind me, Satan. You need to talk to the devil with some fire and some passion and some conviction. 
because you have authority over the devil when you are in Christ. Jesus did while on earth. And he, how did he fight the devil? With the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He quoted scripture. If you're not memorizing scripture, if you're not in the word of God reading scripture, how can you fight the devil? Because the weapon, the only offensive weapon we are given in the armor of God is the, is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The other five pieces are all defensive weapons. They're all defense. Uh, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shoes of peace, all defensive. Sword of the spirit is the only off offensive weapon we are given which is twofold. One, you got to play more defense. That's why there's more defensive weapons because the devil's going to attack and you got to be ready with all the defensive weapons. And he gives you one offensive weapon because it's so powerful. All you need is one because if you play, and if you play the defense the right way, sometimes defense is the best offense. Although I disagree with that. I think offense is the best offense and defense is just, you know, good in case offense slips up. But the offense is the word of God. And if you're not in the word of God, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it day and night, night and day, like the word says, then how can you fight the devil? Because you don't even know what you can use or tools are given to fight the devil against the attacks that are coming. And let me tell you, the attacks will come. If they're not coming, well, you better watch out because you might want to analyze, am I really living a godly life? Am I really doing things the right way? Because if I'm doing things the right way and I'm really living a godly life, the attack should be coming from the devil because he doesn't, he wants to get you off. He wants to get you off your game. He wants to get you down in, down in the dumps, depressed, discouraged, defeated, devoured, destroyed, killed. That's what he wants. That's his end goal. And so if he's not attacking you, you might not be living the best godly life. And so you need to analyze that and ask yourself, am I living the best godly life that I can? And if I'm not, well, I better do it. And I better try and find what my purpose and God's will is for my life. What his purpose is for my life and his will. And you can do that by four things. So there's items you can use to find your purpose and your will that God has for you for your life. Number one, get connected and stay committed to a good godly church. It is the foundation of where God will reveal to you what his will is for your life and his purpose. Because there's a promise tied to being a part of being connected and committed to the church. There's a promise tied to that. And in the Psalms 92 verses 12 through 13 or 14, it says that the promise tied to you being connected and committed to the church is that you will be fruitful, you will flourish, and you'll, have a, you'll be living a successful life. But you'll flourish. And that's the most powerful thing is that you will flourish. You'll be fresh and you'll flourish. That's the promise that is tied, that's tied to you being successful with being connected and committed to the church is that you will be fresh and you will be flourishing. So if you want to be fresh and flourishing, get connected and stay committed to the church. The second item of what you can do to find your purpose, your God's purpose and will for your life, number two, is pray about what your purpose is and ask God instead of complaining. So, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God's will is for my life. And I've been there. I've said those words. And it's like, okay, take a step back and analyze. Am I praying about it? Am I asking God, what's my purpose? What's your will for my life? Can you, oh God, you know, get down on your knees, pray. It doesn't have to be on your knees, but get get in a place of prayer and a in a posture of prayer and just say, you know what, God? I don't know what your will is for my life. 
or your purpose. And I want to feel as though I'm accomplishing and doing what you want me to do on this earth. And so I really ask in a mighty and powerful way that you would reveal to me what your will is and what your purpose is for my life so that I can fulfill it and be a successful man of God for you and for your kingdom or woman of God for you and for your kingdom, an ambassador for you, an open vessel that you can use. And the third thing you can do is consider the thing you just can't get away from. You know, that one thing that just seems to be lingering that you just, you, you try running as far away from it as you can get, but for some reason it just keeps coming back around. Who knows, that just might be the one thing that God wants you to do that's your purpose. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but it might it's, it's something to consider. And the fourth thing you can do is never, ever, 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 ever copy somebody else's purpose or will because you're impressed or infatuated with it. And the example I can best give would be in the song service. You see people singing in the song service and you get infatuated with it. And all of a sudden you want to get up on there and get that limelight and get that spotlight on you and make you feel good and feel great. And like you're doing a work for God and all this stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute here, halt the brakes. Am I doing God's will or am I just doing this because it feels good? I quote unquote, enjoy it. And therefore somebody else is doing it. And now, you know, it's quote unquote, my will and my purpose that God has for me to do. You have to ask yourself that. Am I doing this for me or am I doing this because this is truly what God wants me to do? And I can tell you from experience that typically when you're doing God's will and fulfilling his purpose in your life, it's not always going to be easy and it might scare you at first, especially. And it's just not something that may come natural to you right off the get-go, right off the jump. I mean, it could. I'm not saying that it won't or that it, that, that it never can because it could. It just depends on the person. Sometimes you're born knowing pretty much in the back of your head what you're called to do or what your will is and your purpose is. But sometimes you got to dig it out and you do always have to dig it out to some extent. It's like, you know, you're getting after that fine gold. You got to put the work in and, and dig it out and Try and live that successful, flourishing life for God. Because sometimes the purpose and the will of God, he doesn't want to reveal it to you right away because he wants to know that you're committed to him first and connected to his church and doing what he wants you to do with the gifts and talents that he's given you. You know, if you're not, if you're too big for the little stuff, then in all reality, you're too little for the big stuff. You got to be willing to be a servant. God says, do you want to be most important in heaven? Be a servant on earth. That's what Jesus came to do. He was washing feet. He was serving others. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And that's the mindset of that you should have as a Christian and that I need to have each and every day as a Christian. Am I being a servant? Am I living my life in the best godly way possible to serve others, to be that uplifting person and to fight to be that? Because it is a fight. Everything in us says we want fame and fortune. We want money. We want prestige. We want power. But, you know, you got to say to yourself, well, wait a minute here. Is that what God wants me to have? And if it's not, which chances are it isn't, you have to go, okay, well, hold on a minute here. Wait a minute. Let's halt the brakes. Let's take a step back. Let's analyze this. Let's figure out, is this really what God wants for me? Or is this what I want for me? Because if it's what you want for you, well, then that ain't good. Because at the end of the day, you ought to want what God wants for you and not what you want for you. Because you're going to be most effective in life and in Christianity 
in, in, in the service to God, when you humble yourself and say, you know what? This isn't about me. This is about furthering your kingdom and being a servant and having a servant's heart and fighting for what's right so that I can be all of these things for you and for your kingdom. Moving forward with each breath I breathe that I would surrender everything that I am for you and to you because you are worthy of it. You are worthy of my surrender. You're worthy of my obedience. You're worthy of me fighting. And there's days, you're gonna have days where you don't feel like fighting. And when I have those days, I pray this. I say, God, you know what? I don't feel like fighting today. So I'm just gonna ask that, you know, when I get to what seems like an insurmountable obstacle or a mountain that seems like I can't climb it, that I just lift my hands up to you and say, carry me through. I don't have the strength today. And that's the beauty of God's grace. When we don't have the strength, he gives us the strength or he'll carry us through. And it's beautiful because he's fighting for us when we're making the effort to fight for him. And he's going to carry us through those dark times, those lonely times, those dry values, valleys. And are we praising him in those dry valleys? Are we praying or praising him when we're at the mountaintop? When everything's going right, are we praising him? When everything's going wrong, are we praising him? Because in the good times, praise him. In the bad times, praise him. No matter what, he's worthy of praise. Like Paul, in all situations, in all circumstances, he learned to be content. And we ought to learn to be content like he was. And how do you do that? Well, it comes with sacrifice. It comes with realizing that you're, you know, not who you, who you think you are in your own eyes. You know, it comes with humility and not false humil- humility, actual humility, where you're going, well, wait a minute here, you know? I think I know what I'm doing. I think I have it all together. But in reality, I don't know nothing. I don't have this figured out. But I know that I can in Christ have it figured out because he is good. He's faithful. He's just. And the more I cling to him and the more I pray each and every day to be a devout follower of him, to give him my whole heart and my undivided attention and to pray more than once in a day for 20 minutes or whatever the case may be, 30 minutes, whatever. I want to pray. I want my life to be a prayer to God. And that's what you ought to want. You ought to want your life to be a prayer to God and he'll help you. But you have to fight and you have to be willing to fight and put in the effort because he's not going to do it for you. We're not, he's not a puppet master. We're not robots. And that's a beautiful thing. He gives us free will to make our own choices and to make our own determinations because that's the way he wants it. He wants us to want him. That's the most beautiful thing about salvation and about the glory of God is he wants us to want him and to make the choice to choose a life of service to him and a life devoted to him and doing what he wants you to do rather than just forcing it. Because what's the point of forcing it? Why would he even create us if he just forced everything on us? Like a puppet master, like we're just a bunch of robots. That's not what he wants. He wants more for us. He has more for us. We have to understand that we are. We need to make a difference in the lives that we're placed in. So we have people in our lives and those people's lives, they're watching us at every turn. They're watching how we react to life, to people, to things especially when you tell them, I'm a Christian. They're watching you like a hawk. And so you have to be on guard. You can't let your guard down. Picture this. You've got a wall, a spiritual wall. And the devil's not just going to take one, take the wall down all in one lump sum. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. He's going to slowly chip away brick by brick, granular of sand, granular of sand. And he's going to take one brick out, loosen a brick up, take it out, and hope you don't notice. 
And then, oh, oh, he didn't notice that brick was just removed. Let's take the next one out. And then before you know it, because you're not paying attention like Samson, and the whole thing comes crashing down, and you didn't even realize that the bricks were out. It's like, you know, the devil doesn't want like the frog in the boiling water. He doesn't, he's not just going to have you boil. He's not just going to boil the water and take you and throw you in. Because then what are you going to do? You're going to jump right out and say, oh, no, heck no, devil, I ain't doing that. But if he gets you in the water first and then slowly turns it up to where you don't even notice what's happening. And then by the time you do, you're already boiling and you're dead. That's what the de- that's how the devil works. He works slow and methodical and he's very patient with how he works. And so we have to be aware of his tactics and understand, okay, devil, I see you. I see the way you're working in my life and you're using the same strategy. You're just changing up your game plan. And not today, devil, not ever again. I'm done serving you. I've given you however many years I've been alive or how many ever years I gave you before I was saved. And I'm done giving you any more of my time because my time is precious and I'm deciding to give it to God as an offering in service to him because of what he allowed his son to do on the cross for me. And we have to fight for this because it's a war. It's a spiritual war and a spiritual battle. And everybody is watching how you deal with it and how you live your life, especially the minute you say, I'm a Christian. They're watching you like a hawk because your testimony matters. I'll say it again. Your testimony matters. So make it count and live it to the best of your ability so that you have powerful, powerful influence like a Billy Graham or like a Paul or like a Stephen or a Peter. And most importantly, Jesus, because Jesus was almighty and all powerful, but it didn't come just because he was born. He had to work for it. He had to pray. He had to read the word. He had to do all the things that we have to do as Christians to be that successful in mentally, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, all of it. It didn't just come to him. He didn't just, he wasn't just born with it. He had to work for it just as much as you did. The Bible says he was tempted at all points as we are, but without sin. And so we are going to be tempted. The temptations will come. The trials and tribulations will be there. It's just a matter of time. Don't think you're immune because you're only fooling yourself. But when they come, allow those times to refine you and to make you better and to, ma- and, and to mature you and to make you stronger and to come out the other side better for it. A better warrior, a better fighter for the kingdom and for his work. Because the reality is, is that this world, the flesh, the devil, everything's going to throw itself at us. And you have to be aware of that. And we must never, ever let our guard down or our, think that we can let our foot off the gas or that we can coast or become complacent. Because we can't. The fight is never over until we're dead and with Jesus in paradise. It's, let me say that again. The fight is never over until we're dead and in heaven with Jesus. Until then, you can never let your foot off the gas, not for a split second. And the devil will tell you time and time and time again, oh, you're good. You're good. Just you, you can coast now. You've got to where you need to get to. And I'll remind you again, you're either moving forward in Christianity or you're moving backwards. So the minute you take your foot off the gas, you're going in the other direction. You can never, ever stay still. Don't ever let the devil fool you into thinking you can stay still. Because you cannot and you will not. So fight, fight like heck for righteousness sake, for the kingdom, for his work, for eternity, for all of the above. Fight because your life and your family depends on it. Your soul depends on it. And I say your family because your testimony is influencing them for righteousness. 
you're not going to take your family to heaven. They have to make that determination for each and every one of themselves. You can't bring your family with you to heaven because of your salvation. It doesn't work that way. They have to determine within themselves, make a decision to follow the Lord. And I'll be very clear about that because that's just the truth. Now let's head off into the send off with the feel good story of the week. There is hope and the hope comes in the form of the hope filled story of the week. And it comes from a dog. Let's read about this dog this week. Let's go from the Be Inspired website, beinspired.global. And it is about a German shepherd. You love dogs. You'll love this story. It is from that website. So let's get right into it. I'm just going to dive into it. Here it is. There is much we can learn from dogs. In childhood, they are our best companions, seeming to understand our every emotion. They accept us when we feel left out, wait hours for us to return from school or work, and even become the comfort we need to overcome shyness by nudging us into new relationships and friendships. And for adults, they remain our devoted friends. It's no wonder we have such affection for them. Captain was a beloved German shepherd with a glossy dark coat and kind knowing eyes. He was always at Miguel's side. The two of them inseparable as Miguel pushed into his later years. When Miguel passed away, Captain disappeared, only to turn up later at the cemetery. Lying on Miguel's grave, he grieved the separation that death brought. And despite many attempts to bring him home, Captain always ran away back to the cemetery 15 blocks from the house. Such devotion not only touched Miguel's widow and son, it also touched the cemetery caretakers. They made sure he had his vaccinations and was fed daily, but Captain didn't roam the grounds and attach himself to new friends. He stayed close to the gravesite, sleeping there every night and sitting vigilantly during the day. Captain became an icon of loyalty, but what will always remain a mystery is how he found his master's grave in the first place. Miguel died in a different town and was transferred directly to the cemetery. There was no wake at home, no procession for Captain to follow, yet he located the companion he was so loyal to. For us humans, we can more easily locate those we love. We can move our way into their lives more often. We can be more vigilant in our friendships, standing watch over memories and protecting affections. Captain reminds us that no matter the difficulties that separate us, there is always a way to get back to unconditional love. After 12 years at Miguel's gravesite, Captain also passed away. He was mourned as a, continu- as a community member, beloved to many in the town and, ex- and an example of the love that connects all living things. Loyalty. Pass it on. Incredible. Didn't even know there was no procession, no funeral procession, no nothing that would have led him to the gravesite. And yet some way, somehow, he not only knew how to get there, he stayed there on watch, missing his Miguel. There is hope if a dog can love a man so much that he magically finds his way to where the gravesite is. How much more does your heavenly father love you? Knowing how many hairs are on your head, knowing your deepest and greatest achievements and affections, calling you by name, saying, I love you. And I was willing to sacrifice my son on the cross for you. How much more does our God love us if he can show us in his creation of a dog that love and loyalty is such a powerful and incredible and 
awe-inspiring thing to be had. Love, it's in you to give, not in you to live. Love, it's in you to give, not in you to live. And with that, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to this episode. No Truth Culture is created, recorded, edited, and produced by our production company, Pearly Gates USA, which is owned and operated by our parent company, The Big Time USA. Make sure that you follow the podcast and turn the notifications on by hitting the icon so that you get alerted about every new episode as soon as it's released. Do you hate listening to ads and sponsorships? Well, say hello to ad-free and sponsorship-free listening and much, much more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or episode description. Once on the website, click on the link No Truth Culture Plus under the No Truth Culture category. To make a one-time financial gift, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or episode description. And once you're on the website, click on support. With your financial support, you make all of this possible. So thank you. Well, the Band-Aid has been ripped off. So it's time to ask yourself one final question. Has the truth set you free so that you can be free indeed? For myself, Mr. Misunderstood, and the rest of our team here at Pearly Gates USA and the Big Time USA, thank you so much for your loyal listening. And we look forward to you listening again next episode.